So we often hear about how to change your reality by taking a closer look at your thoughts. And I'm wondering, how has this idea worked for you? Maybe you've dabbled in the idea before, but you don't truly believe that it's true or possible. But what if there were practical ways in which to see yourself and how your thoughts are not really your thoughts, but perhaps those of culture or your family of origin, something that took place early in your life? Today, we'll explore the how of seeing through the veil or illusions we have been living under in order to see the truth of life. Today, I sit with Pam Grout, the number one New York Times bestselling author of 20 books, including E Squared, nine do-it-yourself energy experiments that prove your thoughts create your reality, and more recently, The Course in Miracles Experiment, a starter kit for rewiring your mind and therefore the world. Her current focus is the 222 Foundation. She started to honor her magical daughter, Tasman, who has been guiding her from the non-physical since October 15th, 2018. I cannot wait for you to hear straight from Pam about all these things just mentioned. So let's dive into the episode. Hey there, welcome to Mystical Sisterhood. This is your host, Maureen Spielman. I started this show to highlight the intuitives, healers, and other courageous women that I've met along my journey and continue to meet. Through amazing interviews, I seek to ask insightful questions to uncover ways in which you, the listener, can apply the wisdom and knowledge to your own life. I believe that we're all in this together, so sharing healing and joy and bringing community together is both my passion and purpose. If you'd like to learn more about the Mystical Sisterhood community I'm building, please visit www.mysticalsisterhood.com. See you in the episode. Welcome back to Mystical Sisterhood. This is your host, Maureen Spielman. Pam, I already told you before we hit record how excited I am to be with you. I probably came across your work, I'd say, in around 2016 through the book E Squared, and I can't even remember how it landed in my hands. But for me, it was, th this is the book about energy experiments and really stretching the mind to believe that what we really didn't believe was possible could be. And then, you know, gave opportunities to the reader to try it out and see for themselves. And I know from following you that you've collected evidence from really around the globe of these truths to be true. So we'll we'll jump into that. I know E squared was followed by E cubed. And I went on to learn more about you as a travel writer and the author of the blog, George Clooney Slept Here, amongst so many things. But before I have you start, I want the audience to know that you were not only someone I followed, but really possibly even the first person that I thought was on my dream list of guests here for the show. And I just looked back at my email. I think the podcast was launched around January 15th last year. And I looked in my archives and I reached out to you on January 23rd. And I said, would it be possible? And you said, you know, Maureen, thank you so much. Not now, but later. And so the later was later in the year and I reached out to you December and you said yes. And so here we are recording today. And I think another hit from the universe that I got was that I had uh, interviewed an intuitive Therese Rowley on my episode 31 and she talked about the divine intelligence of the children. So as synchrony, the universe would have it, interviewed Therese she was featured in a show called Energy Unlimited with Abigail Zoe Martin, who actually is live on the podcast today in episode 55. And so I'm looking through Abigail's featured spotlights and who comes up but Pam Grout. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you got to be kidding me. She knows about Pam Grout, not that she knew about you, but that you were in the show so when I went to the show, I saw your bio on the wall. I read about the work that she, the interview she did with you. But anyway, I just, as one year mark of mystical sisterhood, it, you know, I, it, I'm celebrating it. Wow. Your teachings about us being connected, about what reality really means. It's just 
so true. And I feel it in the energy today. So I'm going to stop there and say, welcome, Pam. Thank you for being here. Thank you. Well, for one thing, I love the title of your podcast, Mystical Sisterhood. How perfect is that? So anyway, you kind of had me from the Mystical Sisterhood. So thank you so much for this opportunity to be here with you today. Yes, yes, so much. And given your body of work, you know, last night I sat and I thought, well, what questions could because, you know, in an interview like this, it's like, oh, gosh, you have an hour, what are you going to ask, right? But I mean, my very first one that came to me is really, where do you hail from? And what were you like as a child? You know, I think that's a great question. I actually grew up as a minister's kid. So my father was a Methodist minister in little tiny towns in Kansas. And so I was taught the party line about spirituality. My dad was a very progressive minister, but nonetheless, you know, I was taught that God is a guy out there and that God is, you know, something that you have to earn his favor, you know, the him, that he's a him for one thing. So I was taught a pretty traditional, but something, I don't know, I remember when I was really, really young. And sometimes I would leave my body and, and I would, you know, I'd kind of be in this bigger place. I don't know if it was a dream, whatever it was, but I would always be given the choice. Do you want to go back to kind of the confines of the physical body? And at some point, you know, I just consented to do that. And so I just, you know, kind of went along and did, you know, what my family prescribed. I went to church, (laughs) whatnot. And then when I got to college, I mean, I always kind of knew there was something else and something bigger. But when I got to college with university, I more or less, you know, abandoned all the real traditional Christian upbringing that I had. But I've always felt the connection with this bigger thing, which in some ways that might be the best thing to call it. You know, I call it everything, the dude, God, Holy Spirit. Today, I wrote a thing about the cosmic uh, personal assistant or the cosmic secretary. <laughs> so anyway, you know, I'm always, I don't think it really matters what you call it, but that you recognize this connection that we all have to this bigger thing, to, to this light and love, this field of infinite potentialities, I called it knee squared. That is really worth knowing. And so just little by little, my spirituality, I guess, evolved from, first of all, knowing everything, you know, and then coming into the body and then, um, you know, kind of going that route for a little bit with being my dad, being a minister and going to church and, you know, learning that I'd sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and all that. (laughs) And it's funny because now when I look at that, I realize you know, sin kind of means separation from God. So in some ways, even though that sounds awful, we have been separated from this divine Mm. field by our beliefs, our conditioning, our constructs. So it really is my goal always to make that stream bigger, you know, that stream of light and love that's coming to all of us. I want to be more open to it. I want to move towards it. So that's kind of my, you know, number one intention, I guess. It's, it's, uh, I, it's beautiful. And I'm thinking about, you know, when you were going through the traditional path and then I'm not sure if, if writing was that original, you know, creativity that came forth from you as the direction you were going in your life, but how I always kind of feel like life pulls us forward in a way, like it's a, there's a tug or a pull or something and it, and it does have light around it, but what was it for you? Because you have an adventurous spirit, I believe, because you were not only a writer, but then became a travel writer. But how did that unfold in your life that you started to open up more and more to what you now consider to be true? Well, I think your assessment that it might have come from writing is a very good one. In fact, one of my books about creativity and spirituality and basically creativity and God, you know, that's another synonym, you know, kind of that that bigger thing that you connect to the muses, whatever. So I always was a writer. I was so lucky in that I never really did anything else. I loved to write. I always did what I loved to do. And I, that's just been such a gift. Now, the writing, the form of the writing has changed over the years. I was traveling a lot anyway. You know, I, I you know, I was a preacher's kid, so but we would pack up the family station wagon. And so we were already traveling in the United States. You know, like my dad's family was in Texas, so go to Texas, but then we shoot over and go see the Grand Canyon. So, you know, the way my mom's family's from Michigan, and then we go up to Niagara Falls. So we kind of had a travel, I had a traveling bag anyway. 
But um, as I got older, I really, I mean, I love traveling. I love adventure, as you pointed out. But I didn't really know how to make that happen. So I, you know, asked the cosmic secretary, hey, you know, I really would like to travel. Yeah. How's that going to happen? So I think I was really led into travel running. Not soon after I had requested that, an editor from Ladies Home Journal yeah. called me. And I had sent her a pitch about being a, about being a uh, freelance writer. But you know, it was such a crazy pitch. There's no way she would have, you know, gone for it. But at the time, I was, you know, what's it like to be a writer was my pitch. But I mentioned in there that I'd picked coffee in Nicaragua and that I'd been to Jamaica and, you know, it stayed at a villa or whatever. And so she calls, she goes, well, we can't use the idea that you said, but do you do any travel writing? I'm like, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, you never say no to an editor. So I, you know, and she goes, well, where are you going next? Well, at the moment, I didn't have anything planned, but a friend of mine was going, actually, a guy I was kind of dating was going to Tampa. So I said, oh, I'm going to Tampa. She says, okay, I need a thousand words or whatever, you know, the assignment was. So I called my guy, can I go to Tampa with you? Because, you know, I think his family was going. So, you know, I went along and that was my first tra official travel story. I'd already written about, like, like I said, picking coffee in Nicaragua and the J Jamaican villa. But so then I learned that as a travel writer, you get invited to all these places. I mean, mm. I've been all over the world on someone else's dime. So it's been magnificent. You know, I have yeah. been able to stay in castles that Madonna <laughs> stayed in. I have, you know, gotten to do just these really cool things without really having to figure it out. I mean, that's one of my big things is if you just let go of everything you believe, you know, this collapsed reality that we believe is the truth about it is and mm -hmm. open to other possibilities, the most amazing things can happen. And my life is kind of proof of it. I mean, who would have thought a kid from Kansas was going to end up, you know, going all over the world and doing all these exciting things? Absolutely. I love it. And I and I think if we can kind of pepper in here those ideas about, I, I think we can get so much in our head about how do we do this and how how do I do this? But that's part of the misconception that it has to be so structured or such a, a hard and fast list that you're stuck to. And hey, I've fallen in that trap as I've created my business about the following the flow, following the versus the, oh, the world out there is telling me I have to do this, 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 and this for my business. But, you know, what do you have to say about that? And how can we begin to open our hearts and our experience to a different experience, maybe? Well, I often talk about, there was a show when I was a kid, it was called Hogan's Heroes. And there was a guy called Colonel Schultz. And the, the, it, the show was about these Americans that had gotten stuck in a German prison camp. And Colonel Schultz was this guy that, or what, yeah, Colonel Schultz was, and he'd always go, I know nothing, you know, because he kind of knew what was going on. So I feel like my highest spiritual principle is, is basically, I know nothing. But I do know that I am, you know, my little brain's feeding me a story all the time, you know, but I do know that that's only one story and that's a collapsed reality of one tiny possibility okay. and that yeah. so much more is possible. So I think the more we open to bigger possibilities. So I'm smart enough to know, I don't know, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's it. I don't know how to do it. There's no way I could figure out how to go all over the world. You know, I mm -hmm. was a freelance writer, how am I going to, you know, afford to go to South Africa and India and all these places, but the dude or God or the bigger thing knew how to make that happen and led me into this field of travel writing. So in that particular intention, so really our job is just to make intentions, admit we know nothing how to make it happen, but just trust that it can happen. And I think, you know, this list of seven things, you know, seven things we need to do or this, that. I think sometimes the self-help movement, you know, as branded the self-help movement kind of gets in the way more than it actually helps because, you know, there's no real prescription. It's just a matter of listening to divine guidance and trusting that it will lead you and it will provide for you. This bigger thing wants to interact with us. It wants to guide us. It wants to bless us. I mean, that's the truth. But the first, you know, belief we have that sometimes it's the ways we think, Oh, well, it, I'm not really lovable yeah. or, you know, I, I don't really deserve good things. So as long as you have that, that blocks that flow. So you really, it's more about, you know, like David chiseling the David out or not David, Michelangelo chiseling <laughs> David out of the big block of marble. You, you let go of all the stuff that's getting in the way.
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm, I'm soaking it in as you talk, because okay. do you also feel like from what you know for yourself and what you've seen is that it's sort of like this beautiful alchemy that we, in a sense, don't have as much control over as we think. And it looks different for every person. But, you know, maybe how someone's emotional healing plays into it versus like kind of focusing more on changing your thoughts. Do you see what I'm saying? I mean, it's like, I feel like the alchemy is a little different from everyone going through. But what I hear you kind of saying is that, hey, there is some of this letting go and the willingness and, you know, for a lot of people, the courage to even consider the different questions. Yes, I think that's true because we think we know how everything's going to work. In mm-hmm. fact, you know, education, our families, and our families, of course, in their well-meaningness, you know, try to teach us how to live in this world. But what they taught us is that there were certain ways to do it <laughs> and that here are the ways to do yeah. it. Mm-hmm. When, I, like I said, you know, when I was young, I felt like I used to leave my body. I feel like I already knew how to do life, <laughs> yeah. but I went ahead and came in and did life the way I was taught. You know, I already felt that connection. I already knew that I could go anywhere, do anything. And that material reality was just really an illusion. I mean, that's what mm-hmm. the of miracle says, mm-hmm. but we're so ingrained in this illusion that it's it's it takes a big Ooh. leap of faith, I guess, to let go of that idea, you know, yeah. that, that mm-hmm. there's more than this physical reality. I mean, one thing that helps me, you know, when you look at like what they call dark energy and dark matter, it's not dark, it means we can't see it. So the what the spectrum of what we can see, even what we're capable of seeing, yeah. is like two percent of mm-hmm. you know the whole cosmos. So first of all, we can't even see most of what's there. I mean, we see two, three percent of what's really here. That's all we can see at our best. So how can we possibly think, knowing that, that we would have any clue how to make things happen or how to live life or how to experience peace and joy and love? It has to be, um, we have to surrender and let go and that. Mm-hmm. Because that was the truth, you know, and inside all of us, there's this peace and joy and love. That is our truth, but it's covered up by this veil. I think you mentioned that word, and that's a good word. This veil that covers up this, you know, with these beliefs, the veil is made of our beliefs and our paradigms and the things that we're taught, but it covers up that purity, that brilliance, that mm-hmm. light. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that and that concept too, that when I feel like it's at a soul level, when we hear the truth, we know it and we might even perk up a little bit and pay attention and but then we will let it go asleep again because that the vernacular and the energy of that what we perceive to be the greater culture you know take we we put it to sleep again that just comes to mind when you share what you just said right i just heard elizabeth gilbert say something to that effect it's like we're playing peekaboo with the universe we're like oh i get it you're going <laughs> this to find big and then we forget, you know how like peekaboo with a little kid, like peekaboo, oh, mm-hmm. I get it. And then, and, you know, we hide back behind and forget it again. But I thought, well, that's a good way to describe it. The other thing I've been thinking about, I was remembering that scene in the movie, Dead Poet Society, where, you know, in the end, Ethan Hawke stands on that desk and he's like, I don't I think he says Captain Mike or whatever he says, but yeah. he had read that poem and he had found that kind of strength, that, you know, connection with the bigger thing. And Robin Williams says to him, do not forget this. Mm. And so I think mm-hmm. as much as anything to really make that an intention to remember this connection because yeah. we do have it. So why do we keep playing peekaboo with it? I don't know. Yeah. And to know that that peekaboo, when it comes out, because I, I, I've i said it many times on the podcast, but when the name Mystical Sisterhood, I, I did not put pen to paper and think like, oh, geez, I need a name. In fact, I had no idea there was going to be a podcast. And then the name struck me like lightning. And I knew in the moment, file it, file it. And I was kind of laughing because this morning when I looked, when that email was uh, from me to you last year on January 23rd, I was thinking what I did was, you said not now, later. And I was thinking like I tucked it into an invisible pocket like and I didn't let it go because it was part of what I desired to create in my life. And so 
that's what I like to also share is just that don't like the peekaboo moments and the strikes of lightning. They're, they're really valuable. They're, they're golden. And, um, that, and just, I would encourage any listener listening today that, you know, I think a lot of people do just go seek what the guest writings and this and that, but the one, one of the gifts I think you have, I know it is your ability to take history and I'm going to say pop culture, like the stories and insert them into your offerings. I read something like, don't, I don't know if I want you to call me teacher, but you <laughs> infuse that into your offerings. But then that's why I, I think I had the little girl question too. There's a wit about it. There's a humor. And I think that there's some magic in that that when you your offerings are playful, it makes them really accessible. Well, thank you. That is like the ultimate compliment because I want it to be playful. In fact, mm -hmm. when I used to give other workshops, I called them play shots. I mean, I mm -hmm. think we're here on this ball spinning through space to play around, to create, to enjoy, to enlarge the vision of the light, you know, the, mm -hmm. and so many people take it so seriously as far as using pop culture references, I do that partly because, yes, it makes it accessible, but it also makes it a little lighter and fun. And I feel like we want this to be sustainable. Again, we don't want to keep playing peekaboo. Mm -hmm. We want to stick with it. Mm -hmm. And I think unless it's fun, unless it's enjoyable, it's not going to be sustainable. Anything you have to do becomes a burden to some extent. I mean, you may go ahead and do it, but you're not enjoying it. You're gritting your teeth. So I think playing, mm, <laughs> playing mm -hmm. with all this is the way to go. So yes, thank you. And so I'm <laughs> so happy that you said that. In fact, you're really just giving me all these compliments. I'm just sitting here. And that's another one of my practices, learning to accept compliments mm -hmm. and to accept love. You know, I think, again, those lessons were taught us, oh, you have to earn love or you have to earn respect. You have to earn all this stuff. And that's not true. We have it just by... We are heirs to this. This is mm -hmm. our inheritance. Mm -hmm. So I'm just opening more and more. So thank you for allowing <laughs> me to practice opening more and more to hearing, you know, it's about myself. Absolutely. Yes. And thanks for receiving it. Because I think that to me that, that I think it's one of my intentions is to open up those, that, that sort of like accessibility of the energy that's meant to flow between people and, and what I hear you saying too is when we get out of our own way with our old stories of the, oh, I, I wouldn't possibly be worthy of that and deserving or that's that's just too much and I'm not enough, whatever it is, that that impedes the and that flow of energy that's out there for us to really, it's kind of like our air supply, right? It's our, <laughs> it's the, it's truly the breath of life. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Mm -hmm. I'm always so intrigued, Pam. I think I have been last year, I think I think it was the beginning of 23, maybe it was 22 when you put out a course in the Course in Miracles experiment. And it was, from my understanding, A Course in Miracles was released in the 80s. And I didn't know much about it, but it was always in the, my atmosphere and my, and I woke up the day after Thanksgiving and I thought, I, I, I hadn't planned on it. I thought, I, I want to learn about A Course in Miracles. And so I went to Marianne Williamson because of course I, for those looking on YouTube, I had the book and I followed along. So this year, day after Thanksgiving, I started day one with her, e like her course where just something in your mailbox every day. So you can do it however you want. But I believe that for me, I was definitely, I wasn't ready for it in that way to truly look at it before then. But I know you can tell us a little bit more about it or a lot more about it. But of course, in miracles, like at least the beginning lessons today, I think I was on 48, lesson 48. And it was perfect because the lesson was there is nothing to fear. But it really, we can learn these things about, oh, yes, yes, Maureen, yes, Pam, you're, you've got a conditioned mind. But what does it mean? And it's it's like so layered, right? And so when we can really go back to it again and again and see and be willing to look at it with new eyes and let it go. I just don't, I, I think that this Course in Miracles for me at this time and for a lot of humanity has been very significant in allowing us to see the truth that hides, hides behind the veil. So if you would talk more about that, 
I'd love it. About the Course in Miracles. Yeah, it was actually channeled by a couple of, uh, I think they were psychologists, maybe psychiatrists. But anyway, they were doctors, at least PhD doctors at Columbia University. And there was a lot of fighting, a lot of, it just wasn't working out in their department. It was just, you know, awful. It seemed there's a big black cloud over everything. So Bill Thetford, he was the head of the whole department and he threw up his hands one day and he says, there has got to be a better way, you know, than how we're handling things. Wow. <laughs> and almost as if on cue, Helen Shuckman started hearing these voices that, that began with something like, this is a course in miracles, take notes. And of course, she never did totally fully buy it. I mean, part of mm. her resisted this idea that we could make contact with this bigger thing, but she never ever thought to quit. You know, she went ahead and kept doing it. And part of the miracle of it was that she would get the visions, whatever, and then Bill Thetford would write it down. So together they created this. And at first it was just for them, like their answer to how to, you know, make the department smoother, easier. But eventually they were given more guidance that more people need to hear about this. And they made some, you know, there are copies of it and they start passing around to certain people they thought might like it. And everybody's like, no, this needs to be out there in the public. It's not for everyone. As you pointed out, it is kind of difficult. One of the big jokes I say in the book is that you go to any spiritual gathering, you say, who has this course of miracles? And well, almost everybody owns a copy of that big blue doorstop. Yeah. <laughs> and then you ask the second question, how many have actually read it or done it? And you know, like one or two hands will stay up. So it's a pretty dense difficult thing to go on. In fact, that's kind of what, I, and so I was blogging. This is kind of how the book came about. I was blogging about my own journey into the Course of Miracles. I do it every year. And, you know, I started, this is what this lesson means to me. This is what, you know, kind of thing. And eventually I started getting so many messages. Oh, you need to turn it into a book. And, you know, I may be slow, but eventually if I hear something, you know, 20, 30, 40, 100 times, like, okay, I guess I need to turn into a book. So I contacted Hay House, which published my last four or five books, and they said, sure, let's do it. So anyway, that's kind of how Courts and Miracles Experiment came up. Although I, in retrospect, I wanted to call it Courts and Miracles for Badasses or Course in Miracles, the fun version. And this is an example of how we tend to go back to what we know, go back to the yeah. past. One of the course's main lessons, I see only the past. Again, I see only the conditioning. But So, you know, I had this success with these two books about experiments. So I wanted to call it this other thing. And they're like, no, let's call it the Course in Miracles Experiment. So I don't even know yeah. why it's called the Course in Miracles Experiment, other than they thought, well, that kind of goes along with my little brand so to speak but yes. you know brand is just one piece of the puzzle too you know i don't consider myself having a brand i'm just here every day showing up mm -hmm. trying to love as much as i can trying to give as much light as i can trying to do what i love and be on this frequency of joy and gratitude mm -hmm. i mean mm -hmm. gratitude is really it but, you know you're talking again about th these various issues one of the things i've been focusing on now is when i notice something come up I just want to be aware of it. I mean, things come up all the time, but I don't need to obsess about it or build a shrine to it. I just notice it. And then I notice that as I have more light coming in or I'm more connected to mm -hmm. this energetic mm -hmm. field that is all around us. Again, mm -hmm. we can't see a lot of it, but it's all around us. So it just kind of naturally dissolves that stuff. Now, yeah. you don't want to try to hide it and say, oh, no, no, you know, I'll cover it up with an affirmation. I mean, that's not a bad thing to do. But, yeah. you know, you do want to acknowledge it or notice. I don't say acknowledge, notice it. Just be aware. Mm. And then the light of awareness will just automatically kind of move it out. So, you know, we don't want to ignore things or what they call spiritual bypassing, but we don't need to you know, Google it and read a thousand websites yeah. and listen to YouTube videos and hear a hundred teachers <laughs> read a thousand books. We just need to be aware and then trust in the bigger possibility that knows how to work that. In fact, I just wrote that blog post about the cosmic personal assistant or cosmic secretary. I could have called it the cosmic Drano maybe too, because <laughs> it kind of will uh, wash out all that stuff that is no longer serving you if you don't hold on to it too tight. Just notice. Mm hmm. Yeah. And so just with all that, and then what I hear about your own life and what I know about my own is that 
for a lot of people, what we've learned in some way, shape or form, something inside tells us it's not working anymore. And that willingness to know that that's fine, that's okay. And if if you are feeling a calling from within to put it down, like it's time to put it down and alchemize it, transmute it, I think. I was listening to Thank and Grow Rich on my Audible. It was a book that I've had for a long time and I, had, I was revisiting it to get in my Pam Grout energy this morning. And I, I think you may have said the word transmute and I love that word, but I, I this idea of everything we thought we knew at many times in our lives crumbles down and we begin again. Yeah. I mean, mm-hmm. if you think about it, our cells are constantly replenishing themselves. We're constantly making new cells. Every moment is really different. And the only reason it seems kind of like the past and it looks kind of like the past is because we're seeing, because we're choosing to see the familiar, mm-hmm. the known. I yeah. mean, I, I'm not quite to this point yet, but I believe I can wake up, you know, I want to be more and more open to this and the total world peace would, would have fallen on the planet. Mm-hmm. Why not? I mean, not? that's, that's a big leap because again, we believe that we're seeing this particular view that's happening in the world and we, we put a lot of faith in it, but it can change at any minute. And I love to think about that, that, you know, what's happening now is happening in, in the next moment. It can be completely different. Like we could get off this interview and open our computers or something. It'll say, yeah, we're peace. I mean, you know, yeah, Obviously, mm-hmm. we don't believe that, and so we continue to condense a reality that looks like the past. But at any moment, something really remarkable can happen. And so, by being in gratitude as much as possible for being—I mm-hmm. mean, my goodness, look at this—we're talking to each other, even though we're—I don't know how many miles away. You're in Chicago, I guess. Mm-hmm. I'm in Lawrence, Kansas. But you know, look at this—we're these these molecules or atoms yeah. come together to create this technology that we can talk. And really the technology that we see is just really representing what's truth and reality. I mean, we could do this without the computers, but we're not quite there yet. So mm-hmm. I'm not there yet. You might be. <laughs> <laughs> not, not as much. So how important, this is a little bit of a setup. Do you believe it is to surround ourselves with high vibration messages what's progressing humanity forward like what do you have to say about that and how do you practice it and what does that look like well i think it's the most important conversation we can have you know about possibility most people focus on problem state you know the news media focuses on problem state if something happens and we think it's a problem but if we think about possibilities Mm-hmm. new things can happen. So having these kind of conversations, and I don't know if you're leading for me to talk about my possibility policies, but <laughs> I do have a real strong belief that we need to do it together. I think David Hawkins, you know, the famous guy that did vibrations, he wrote about the power versus force, which is a great book. And he talked about the calibration of energy and how different states, you know, created, you know, create what it creates in the world. And he said that, on your own, you can make spiritual progress, some spiritual progress but mm. together in a group with like-minded folks. It's exponential, the amount of spiritual growth that can happen. So it's very, very important. So I have, you know, as you know, if you read Thinking Grow Rich, you know, I have a little possibility posse where we text each other blessings from the day before. So we have that. But we all, I also have a couple groups I meet with in person. They live here in my hometown. And I, I feel so good. Even, I am not a joiner person, but these groups mean so much to me that I love them because again, yeah. we don't talk about what's going wrong. We talk about what could be, what if, what could be possible. And that's just so much more of an interesting conversation and mm-hmm. so much more of a meaningful conversation. Yeah. So that's why, in fact, you know, when I was thinking, you know, I felt called to, to you know, have this conversation with you because I knew we would talk about meaningful things. We would talk about possibilities, not what was wrong and not how to mm-hmm. fix things, but here is what's possible. Yes, yes. And and that those two words, what if, what if, I mean, you can take two words from the English language and they can be that powerful as we know them. And, and what you're saying too is, I was wondering earlier in the interview, 
how also important you think the language we use is in terms of, I don't know what came to me in that moment a little bit ago, but just we have words from scarcity, but then we have more expansive. We have problems versus possibilities. Is that something that you watched inside yourself when you were kind of coming up or moving along? And how do you feel about that? Right. Well, I think we tend to put curses on ourselves by some of the things that we say, mm, for sure. Yeah. I think language is very important. In fact, you know, why why go to a fortune teller when you can just listen to what thoughts are going through your head? Because that's <laughs> your fortune, you know. But I also have been thinking recently about the limits of language. Because I can say any word, and you know, you're going to have your idea about what that word might mean. And then I have my idea about what that word might mean. And both of them are subject to interpretation and perception. Mm -hmm. So even language can sometimes limit us, okay. you know, so, but as far as the language that I can control, I do attempt, not that I don't hear myself saying negative things from time to time, you know, but I'm very aware when I do that. Again, I'm noticing that like, okay, is this a thought I want it? Or is this a, okay, our thoughts, you know, almost like we don't always have control of them. They're just running through. Sure. But you have to control whether we pick them up and pay attention to them. But our words, we do have a little more control mm -hmm. over. So mm -hmm. I, I think it's really important to speak of what you want to have happen, uh, speak of possibility. You know, I think I put this in one of my books, but I heard the story about Maya Angelou. I'm pretty sure this is in one of my books. I don't remember which one. But she said one time when people came to her house, you know, it, it, don't be bringing that negative stuff into my house. You know, mm -hmm. I, I, she said, I follow, I think it was Paul in the Bible, he said, you know, let's only talk joy and love and then take the rest of it out of my house. I don't want to hear it. I can't remember yeah. exactly how she said it, but you know, that was really important to her that you're coming into my house and you're going to bring a vision, a possibility. You're not going to be talking smack. I mean, not talking smack, especially on yourself or on anybody. Because, you know, anytime you talk smack on somebody else, you're really talking about yourself because we're all connected. So mm -hmm. why go there? Oh, when it's so full of possibilities and, and, when we find ourselves, you know, I, it's, it's, it's the little ways to like the little aggressions against ourselves that are, they, I do believe that that universal mirror is happening. Even the other day I was, I can see myself, I was being Maureen, you should have done this with this person in your life that you didn't do enough for, but I can, because I've gone back and looked at my thoughts and revisited the concepts we're talking about today. I always think it's all a process, but then it went through my mind and then I could say like, you're fine. You're fine. There's no duality to that. There's not right or wrong. Those no one's putting expectations on yourself. So I just think that that, that kind of fascinated me to witness myself in that way. Yes, I've been feeling that as well. Noticing, I don't know. I'm more beneficent to myself. Mm -hmm. I'm kind of like, yeah, I might do something I don't like, and I'm like, but then I realize, you know, Kim, you're only human. It's okay. You know, I, yeah. I, you may have read my blog post or maybe I put in a book about my two magic words. It's okay. Because mm -hmm. we do tend to beat ourselves up and just, it's okay. We're human beings doing the best we can. And we're opening, you know, my goal is to open myself to make the divine flow stronger. So those little niggling places of doubt and guilt and all those things will be transmuted to use that word to be washed away the grace of my attention will mm -hmm. remove those kind of things and i do love that i'm being kinder to myself now it really feels so good or, or when i do beat, my, beat myself up it only lasts for a shorter amount of time before i oh hey i don't want to do that exactly yeah, yeah yeah and i bet that that doesn't hang on for too too long okay when i was just listening to you what came to mind was portals of light okay so I believe that a lot of what you create, create the portals of light. I feel like people are looking for them. They're, whether they know it or not, they're seeking them right now. I believe that this podcast is a portal of light. I want to talk about the portal of light that is the 222 Foundation. Oh, thank you. I love that description. I just got a book that I'm, I haven't started reading yet, but it's about a, a French resistance fighter in the and, you know, he was thrown in a prison camp. He wasn't Jewish, but, you know, he was resisting what the Germans were doing. So he got thrown into a prison camp and he was blind and he was blinded when he was like seven or eight young, but he was still able to see light. In fact, his book is called something white. It has light mm -hmm. in the title. 
But he was able to do every single thing. He ended up being a professor in the end at, I think it was Case Western University in the United States. Amazing. Yeah, no, it is amazing. He was a French guy. I mean, he could see and do everything because he didn't need his eyes. He had the portals of light. But anyway, I love that idea of the portals of light. But the portals of light that one of the portals of light that I'm working on is the TASGRAP 222 Foundation. And we have three main intentions. The biggest one is to change the consciousness of the world. Until we change the consciousness of the world, we're just going to keep seeing the past. We're going to keep getting the same old, same old, but so much more is possible. So we, every year on 222, my daughter and I had a thing about 222. She did, she started it when she was in junior high. And then, you know, soon thereafter, as things happened, after she started this kind of little funny Facebook group, the Amazingly Awesome is a 222 or something like that. We happened to go on a couple of trips, went to Alaska, got the hotel room 222, went to London, got the hotel room 222. And so throughout our life, we always would text each other pictures of 222. It's just a kind of silly yeah. thing. Yeah. So after she passed, when she died unexpectedly, very unexpectedly of a cerebral aneurysm, it came to me soon thereafter to start this 222 Foundation. Mm. So every year on February 22nd, we give a gift to a person or a project or an organization that is working to change the consciousness of the world. We've done everything from plant 2,222 trees. We've got, opened a regenerative garden in Canada called Taz's Hot Dirt. We've, we've funded dance projects, two projects in India, one being the very first project was the first year soon after she died in India. I happened to be in Agra and met these women, and we ended up funding the move for this project called Shiro's Hangout. It was women who had had acid thrown on them by their spouses, which is still a thing that happens in India. And normally when that happens, they go into hiding. But these women were totally shining their light, changing consciousness by opening this cafe and offering free tea and coffee and treats. People often did give donations, but you didn't have to. It was totally free of charge. So that was our first project. And I feel like Taz, who was with me there, in fact, the, the Taj Mahal was, you know, took 20... Let's see, it took 222 workers or 20,000 workers, this one, 22,000 workers, 22 years to build. So it's like everything about it. Oh, and plus, it was a monument to Mumtaz. That was the name of the mogul's first wife or his favorite wife that he built this monument to. So, you know, it's just like being connected to this bigger thing that's leading me. And so anyway, that's what the 222 Foundation does. In fact, it's next month. We're currently going through projects. We've got to narrow it down to about five. But it's just been so rewarding to me to even read all these pitches that people have sent in because I realize so much good's going on in the world. I mean, I already know that, but it's like, yeah. yeah, they're right in my face. And it's so much fun to read those. It's like, I want to fund every single one of them. But of right. course, you know, we need to choose. But anyway, that's the sole intention of the 222 Foundation is to change consciousness. Mm-hmm. That's the most important thing. And that's what we're doing. It's big and it's doable, right? And yeah. I love, I'm going to call it a portal of light from now on. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. I think it's phenomenal. And it, you know, the submissions that are coming in, it's incredible because I always go back to the power of the question. And when we put a question out there that's powerful, people come. And it's just such a gorgeous thing because these 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 ideas were waiting to get to you. And and you know, you'll choose the one and then the other ones will go where they need to go. But it's you're putting the question out, and that's such a powerful thing to do. I love it, Pam. Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. So Taz lives on and I, and I think I was reading something, I, I, you know, a beautiful tribute on your website, the five minute video you have of all the photos of her life, but I just wanted to have her infused here today too, as I'm sure she's just surrounding you and, and just, and just bringing light to each endeavor. But I, I can't wait to see who you choose for this year's 222. So I, I saw that you just had chosen something from Jason Momoa. And was that last year's then? Oh, no. I put out the call for entries. I saw the film Common Ground. If you haven't seen it, go see it. It's all about regenerative agriculture. So what we decided to do with the foundation this year is to 
give give donation to regenerative farm project, regenerative okay. agriculture project, because when we uh, regenerate the soil, it actually sucks carbon out of the air. I mean, it has a lot of good, it makes us healthier in our bodies. It, it helps with, you know, carbon in the air. So there's just a lot of good things with regenerative agriculture. So we are, we decided that we were going to go with the project this year. And so all the pitches that I've got, I mean, a few of them haven't uh-huh. been starting mm-hmm. up. That's what I asked for. But anyway, Jason Momoa was in that movie. In, oh, very in, cool. Yeah. In the comic book. That's why I started, you know, here's my call for pitches. And he was just mm-hmm. the tagline to get people to read. That, I love it. So I have a question for you. I know we're kind of like winding down a little bit here, but this idea of speaking to the dreamers who are listening. And I think we're probably all dreamers. And so many of us have let those, that part of us, that creativity, the the dreamer part that was really part that we were so in touch with as young people um, go to sleep. But I feel like what, you know, what would you, what do you say to the dreamers? And I, I want to reference to the creativity quiz that you have on your web- website that's <laughs> yeah. hyster- hysterical. You have to go look at it because it is a really quick quiz to take. And it's absolutely true. But I feel like through 222 and your infinite possibility works that those portals you're opening, they are allowing dreams to come alive. So I don't know. What would you say to the dreamers? Well, start paying attention to the dream. We all have them. Mm-hmm. We tend to close them down with those negative thoughts we were talking about earlier or this idea that our culture gives us that that's too hard, that can't work. I mean, these thoughts that we get, you know, that, that we're fed and that we've, you know, taken on. But so I say, put your focus back on the dream. And if you mm-hmm. don't actually feel a dream at the moment, because some people say, well, I don't know what my dream is. Yeah. What are you curious about? Feed your curiosity and go towards that. Put more attention on that, the dream, the possibility, than on the problem <laughs> that you're trying to mm-hmm. fix, whatever. So mm-hmm. just where do you put your attention? It's so important to look at and, and put your attention on the dream. So the dream, dreamers, yeah. I'm all for you. It can happen. It will happen. It is happening. Mm -hmm. You're here listening to this means that you're already in the mode. I mean, if you're in the mystical sisterhood, which you are, if you're listening, you're, you're already, you're already on the right path. So let me just congratulations Mm -hmm. on the back. (laughs) I love that. And one, one that I'm constantly reminded of, and I wonder if it's a daily practice or a moment by moment practice for you is asking for help. And that idea that we are not here to do it alone, we're sort of led to believe, you know, every man is an island and figure it out on your own. But like, I just feel like maybe it's through A Course in Miracles, but maybe other sources too that are saying, hand it over. And I think a lot of it is the condition, if we were raised in more traditional religion, I think that that was a phrase that would be like handed over to God, but like, However, we think about our connection to the quantum field, to that field of potentiality, I think you call it, is that a practice that you do? And I've been, I know I've been trying to remember to do it more is to ask for the guidance when I need it or when, when I'm struggling with something. Right. Well, one of my things I say a lot is help me see this differently. If I start mm-hmm. noticing, you know, a block or location, help me see it differently. Yeah. But what it says in the Course in Miracles is every day, you know, make get up, make a decision. What kind of day do I want to have? Like for okay. me, I want to have a happy day of joy. I want to, you know, to anybody I come in contact with, I want to give love. Like that. That's my intention. And then the Course says that if you make no decisions on your own, <laughs> that's the kind of day <laughs> you're going to have. <laughs> but if you start making a decision that, oh, wait, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. Yeah. Then that's when you say, you know, I say Holy Spirit or Cosmic Secretary is my new name, I guess. Help me see this differently. Mm -hmm. You know, so so anyway, as long as we don't make any decisions, everything's going to work. That's how it's meant to be. And Mm -hmm. that's such a shocking thing. Well, That's not how it's meant to be, people think. You have to earn it. We're just so ingrained into that. We have to earn it. We have to do this. We have to do that. No, it's streaming into you if you just pay attention. Yeah, that's what I'm focusing on. That's what I want to be open to. And I would say to the listener too, if you want to check out, I don't know what you'd uh, say, Pam, about, um, you know, if, if a listener, you might not have an opinion, but were to start with any book, 
what would it be? I think that E squared is pretty interesting. And if you could just say like a little bit how you etched it into the sand way back when, and then it came to life. E squared is a really interesting book because it is a breakdown of, I think, nine experiments that allow you, I haven't, I I, want to go back and do this with, you know, a friend to do it real time. These are great to revisit, right? Things like this. Oh yeah. But to put out into the universe thoughts and see, see how much you affect the reality. But so I love this one as a starter. How about you? You know, I like all my books, but I'm, I think that's the one that most people related to Mm -hmm. and it just breaks it down. It's not saying you should believe this, it's, it's saying this is, these are spiritual principles that have been actually around for thousands of years, but rather than just take it at face value, why don't you try it for yourself? Why don't you see it with your own two eyes? So basically I set up these nine very simple, most of them take 48 hours experiments and you just try it. Does it work? Does it not work? I'm not saying you have to believe this. I mean, that's the thing about religion. Oh, this is how you should believe. No, try this out. Check it out. And have mm-hmm. fun with it. Sometimes people will write to me and say, oh, it didn't work. And I say, no, that's okay. Just <laughs> play, play, play. And then it eventually ends up working. So anyway, that's, it's just, they're fun things to play around with and just check it out. Does, do you interact with this force or okay. don't you? Yeah. And what do you have to say about trust? Right. Mm-hmm. And just how much we trust. And because I think that too, that you, you probably say it in the book is, that 48 hours, try this experiment. And if it doesn't come to you, it's like you might not receive the answer then, but just be open and trust and see how life unfolds. Yeah, I've heard so many funny stories about how it happened later, like from things bouncing into an intersection. I mean, just unbelievable. You know, one thing this book has done is just opened me up to so many different stories. People have sent me you know, email after email, starting with, you are never going to believe this. I mean, yeah. you know, so anyway, I get a lot of stories and that just further, you know, makes me know that this is true. Yes. Yes. I love it. Pam, we've covered a lot. Is there anything you want to say to the listener before we, you know, exit the interview today? Well, I love what you suggested about going for the dream and about, you know, for the dreamers. So thank you all for being a dreamer, first of all. Thank you for being in the Mystical Sisterhood. And thank you to Maureen for uh, bringing us all together. Ah, yes, yes. Where can listeners find you? Well, if you know my name, Pam Grout, I have a website. I do these blogs and they're totally free. In fact, I even yeah. hate to have all ads taken off because I don't, you know, I'm, I'm into the gift economy. You know, I, you can't outgive God, right? So <laughs> they're all free. You can read a lot of stuff on there. But Pam Grout on Facebook, Pam Grout on Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. So if you know my name, you can find me. <laughs> yes, love it. Yeah, and I would say do subscribe to the the goodness of the newsletter because when it comes into your inbox, it's you're just going to want to read it. They're fun, they're snappy, but applicable to our lives as well. Mm-hmm. There's always a takeaway. So thank you, Pam, for being here. And thanks to the Mystical Sisterhood. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Mystical Sisterhood. If you love what you heard, please visit Apple Podcasts and subscribe and leave a review and share with a friend if you're called to do so. To learn more about my one-on-one coaching programs or join the Mystical Sisterhood membership, visit MaureenSpielman.com or MysticalSisterhood.com. Thanks so much. I'll see you in the next episode.